Welcome to the Rob at Desk Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I had the privilege of talking to Art Bell, the founder of Comedy Central, his story, how they started, the hurdles they faced, and how they overcame them. Thanks again for listening and enjoy. Mr. Art Bell, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Rob. Yeah, no, we got connected on Podmatch, which is a new guest host connection service. I, I You've heard this before, I'm sure, but uh, I thought you were the overnight radio show host. Well, since he's been dead for a couple of years, uh, it's, it's kind of an unfortunate <laughs> mistake on your part. I know, right? I, I will say that I was, um, being in the television business, I was often mistaken for that art bell when I signed in, you know, when I went to a hotel or I was at a convention because nobody really knew uh, what art bell looked like. I mean, they did, but you know, when I walked up, it could have been him. Right. So uh, I got a lot of attention. For that. <laughs> right. No, it's like, I like, I thought he had passed away, but he's such a conspiracy theorist guy. I'm like, who knows what he figured out? So I wasn't going to judge. So Yeah. But- well, I think um, the confusion has started to abate with his death. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Fair. May not fully, uh, fully disappear in our lifetime. Right, and the, so, but you're the founder of Comedy Central. Correct. And so, how did that start? I'm sorry. Say again. How did that start? I mean, how do you start a cable news or cable station, cable TV station? How does that get going? Well, let's see. I was working uh, at HBO at the time, and I long been a fan of comedy and when i say long i mean starting with the time i was like five or six years old i thought it was you know kind of an amazing power to make people laugh i saw that in family members and and uh i saw people on television you know i watched the ed sullivan show which was a a weekly variety show and they had comics on they had a lot of the borscht belt comics uh alan king ron carter those guys um and, and Jack Carter, I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, Jack Carter. And, and uh, you know, I was just fascinated with comedy. So stuck with comedy as kind of, you know, I was a comedy nerd. It was kind of a hobby of mine right through college. When I came out of grad school, I said, hey, you know, it would really be fun to work at a comedy channel. But there wasn't one. Oh. <laughs> so, so I started thinking about what it would look like. And I, I really kind of ruminated for years about what a comedy network would look like, how it would work. I went to work at CBS for a little while, but then ended up at HBO, where I really learned you know, a lot more about the television business. I learned about uh, what people were looking for in television. And I, I was involved in a research project where, we, where I was you know, really traveling around the country talking to people about how they use television. And I slipped in a question all the time. I'd say, hey, you know, what, what would you think of a comedy network? And they'd say, yeah, that sounds great. All comedy. Wow. Cool. So no, that ma- that's so what, that's what, what was the what was the big idea for doing the re- like the they sent you on the road to just do research about the like the HBO and the current networks you were working with? Yeah, HBO sent me because HBO um, at that time I had uh, I had moved into a department called new business development which wasn't really new business development but they put it together because they wanted to try out a new channel idea and the new channel was called festival 
it was a pay TV service like HBO. You know, you subscribe every month. Okay. But it was a service that had uh, no sex, violence, or bad language. And the reason HBO was interested in, in doing that kind of service is because they thought that people who weren't subscribing to HBO weren't doing it. Some of them weren't doing it because they didn't like that kind of thing in their home. They didn't like sex, violence, and bad language in movies and, and their stand-up comedy and all that kind of stuff. And they, and they weren't subscribing. So the solution was put a new channel together, and that was called Festival. Unfortunately for everyone involved, Festival did not make it past the test phase because as I asked on the first day of my job working on Festival, now how is this going to work, an entertainment channel with no sex violence and bad <laughs> language? I said, I'm not sure that's going to be a, you know, a killer. And on top of that, I will tell you one thing. It was my first lesson in never underestimate the competition because when we started testing, guess who came flying after us? Who? The Disney Channel. The Disney Channel. Oh. The Disney Channel at that time was really set up for kids, but guess what? It wasn't that hard for them to add some grown-up movies at night. And suddenly, they're a channel with no sex, violence, and bad language. And, um, you know, they had a much better brand than we did because they weren't exactly starting from scratch, having incorporated in the 20s or something. Whatever right. No, so, that's... Um, that was that was that. So festival went down, and uh, but during during the festival experience, I was I was charged with uh, traveling around the country, doing focus groups, talking to people about how they use television and whether they'd be interested in festival or other new channels. And then this uh, sort of got your you sort of did your own research on the on the interest of a comedy channel. And then what was it like launching the the Comedy Central brand in the channel? Well, you're jumping way ahead. Let me oh, just, sorry, uh, sorry. Well, Comedy Central didn't actually launch um, for a couple years after the Comedy Channel launched. Now, the Comedy Channel was HBO's uh, Comedy Channel. And that's, that's where I was. I was at HBO, and I pitched the idea of a 24-hour Comedy Channel to the head of programming uh, at HBO. And she said, before I got three words out, aren't that's a terrible idea, and I'll tell you why because there's lots of comedy on television as it stands. Nobody wants to watch 24 hours of comedy and you're not going to get any decent comedians on your channel. And she said, you know, so why would HBO do that? Thank you very much for coming to my office. And she sent me packing and, you know, I walked out of her office thinking she was wrong. So I went back to my office and started writing it up. You know, I didn't have that much to do at the time because as I said, my main project went down and I put together financials, a programming plan and the whole thing. And I was really planning to try and get another um, media company to do it, you know, take it to Viacom, see if I could staple that to my resume and get a job and maybe they would do it. But as luck would have it, my boss's boss passed by and took me into, he said, he said, what are you doing? And I showed him and he said, well, I think the chairman of HBO ought to see this right now. Wow. And he took me immediately into Michael Fuchs' office. Michael was the chairman of HBO. And uh, I pitched my little heart out. And I hadn't prepared at all. You can imagine my... Oh, yeah. <laughs> my, um, you had prepared with passion. <laughs> my trepidation. I, I, didn't have a, I didn't have a presentation. I hadn't thought about what I was going to say. It was really kind of... The whole thing was extemporaneous. And I pitched my little heart out. And Michael said, after 15 or 20 minutes... You know, he asked me a few questions. And then he said, all right, well, let's, um, let's do some more work on this and see if it's viable. 
And that's how it started. So we launched Comedy Channel, the Comedy Channel it was called, okay. about six months after that, which was very, very quickly, let me tell you, to try and get a channel up. And let me also mention, in those days, putting a channel, a cable channel together was very expensive, partly because the infrastructure that was required. You needed uplink facilities, satellite dishes. You had to uh, have uh, least time on satellites uh, in order to get your signal around. And, um, you know, so it wasn't something I could really do myself anyway. Yeah, no, it's a, what, what year was this about when it launched from the comedy? This was, uh, 80, 89. Okay. Yeah, no, was, we were kind of talking before we were recording just how technology's changed on editing where all us amateurs now can get in this world where back then it was, it was a real grind to be an editor. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, digital made all the difference, but digital didn't show up for several more years, uh, in the television business. So, um, and then, I, you know, I will say that I commented to somebody in 2005, I was still working in television, that, uh, geez, a, with digital technology, a kid could put a television channel out of his garage. And uh, guess what? That's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> See also YouTube, um, where, you know, lots of people are putting television channels out. So anyway, yeah. that's, how, that's how we got started with uh, the comedy channel. So then how did that transition to, the, to Comedy Central? Well, Michael Fuchs was very enthusiastic about the idea of the Comedy Channel. Um, he loved comedy, and he had a giant press conference uh, almost as soon as we started working on the channel. And I was kind of waving him off, saying, oh, "Michael, I don't know if you want to, you know, make a huge announcement about this because maybe, you know, we don't know if it's going to be that great on day one after the launch." But he was insistent, and he he had a press conference said, "We are launching the funniest channel ever." And HBO really knows how to do television. We are the experts, and this thing is going to be great. And I sat at the press conference, which was in L.A., and kind of cringing, you know, because, man, that's a lot of hubris going in. Immediately afterwards, and I'm talking the next day, MTV Networks, which was owned by Viacom, MTV Networks announced that they, too, were launching a comedy network. Huh. And they were going to call theirs, Ha, the Comedy Network. So that's how fast the competition showed up that time. And listen, it was transparent to almost everyone, I think, that they came up with the idea during our press conference to launch a comedy <laughs> network and put out a, put out a preemptive uh, you know, press release the next day. How, it, and launched, they ended up launching six months after we did. It's amazing where like competition like that, where like for us people just watching that are – the consumer it's like it's really who you hear it from first is probably you think who launched it first but it's who's got the biggest megaphone probably at that point well it's a little bit of that um again uh, hbo had a fine megaphone so and as did mtv networks so it was really kind of a um a fair fight both what? both places were very well resourced both really wanted to capture the audience for a comedy network, assuming there was one. And again, nobody proved that yet when, when we went into this. I mean, it, it sounded like a good idea, but for all we know, knew based on what audiences wanted, maybe it wasn't a good idea, or maybe we couldn't execute it effectively, nor could MTV execute it effectively. So we, you know, we were going into this thing blind. It's not like there was an existing comedy network and we could say, okay, we'll do it like that, but better. That's not what happened. So there we were, going head to head. 
Now, then how much of a role did you have in the writing? Like, obviously, you had the 10,000-foot view of helping assemble the station. And then what about with the actual programming? Were you involved in the actual programming of the station, too, with, the, like, the writing of it? Well, that's two different things. I mean, programming a channel is about um, accessing or uh, collecting programming from all different kinds of places, including original programming, which, as you point out, is written. Yep. There's writers. Um, but also acquired programming. And in our case, one of the ways we wanted to go about this, and this was one of my ideas for how to start very inexpensively or comparatively inexpensively, was to do short form comedy. And the way we were going to do that was we were going to clip stand up comedy shows. We were going to clip comedy movies, clip scenes out of comedy movies and comedy television. And it was a really good idea. We certainly tested it with audiences. Turns out audiences liked watching short form comedy, you know, where it just kind of kept coming at them. It's kind of like, like watching YouTube now. Okay. Uh, and, and, but, it, you know, remember that was uh, 30 years ago. So we were taking a little bit of a chance, but so we put this short form comedy together. We also had some long form shows on uh, movies. We had some half hour, an hour comedy specials, comedy shows. And we also, as we launched, had Mystery Science Theater 3000, which uh, they sent to us. That showed up in the mail one day while we were putting that, before we even launched the channel. Uh, it came in the mail. There was a letter with it saying, hey, uh, we heard you guys are doing a comedy channel. Is this something that would be interesting? And of course it was. Mystery Science 3000 went on to become our first hit. Um, anyway, that's how, what we launched with. Was how, I involved with the programming? Yes, I was involved with the programming. But I, I was not a comedy writer. How, how amazing is this just in, like, just in general, sort of like where you're starting something from scratch at the time and then you have people like competition right behind you. And then you also have people that have been probably working on things, waiting for something like this to open up with the mystery, you know, science 3000 waiting, waiting for that to be an opportunity. And then just as so many things just kind of lining up and also, you know, people looking for their opportunity or trying to find an opening all at the same time, which is just kind of interesting to see everything come together. Well, that was really my vision of the channel. Um, First and foremost, you know, I, I, I think I said it at the pitch, but we certainly said it going forward that we wanted this to be the, the center of the comedy universe. And uh, when Mystery Science Theater threw up, uh, showed up, I knew that we would be successful because I assumed that innovative comedy that couldn't be shown anywhere else would have a home on the comedy channel. And it did. I mean, Mystery Science Theater 3000, you know, it's, you know the show, right? Vaguely, a robot yeah. and a guy watching, watching bad movies and making funny remarks. I mean, that wasn't going to go to NBC or CBS right. or even HBO. Uh, it was too handmade and homemade looking, and it was too kind of off the wall. But for us, it was perfect. And so I think, not I think, I know because we talked to the guys practically the next day. Um, you know, they were very excited to see a comedy network show up because they knew that this this could be a home for their work and lots and lots of comedy projects came to us that way and i'm, I'm pleased to say over the 30 years that comedy central's been in existence um they've launched a lot of careers and done a lot of innovative comedy absolutely and this was probably like in the late 80s here going into the 90s wasn't it the sort of the, also the heyday of stand-up comedy wasn't that when everything was kind of 
was this like a it was right around when everything was that was starting to more arena acts for stand-up comedians as well well you're right i mean the, the stand-up comedy wave started sort of in the mid to late 80s and by the time we were launching it really established itself as kind of a phenomenon that was extremely helpful that wasn't the the driving force behind my concept or my or the channel but we did obviously show a lot of stand-up i'm reminded of a, a quote from richard belzer who's a who was a very well-known comedian at that time before um and i think he was quoted in the in rolling stone magazine saying you know in the old days kids wanted to be grow up to be rock stars and now kids are starting to want to grow up to be comedians and this was 1988 that I, I believe that he said that in Rolling Stone. And that, that kind of captured the zeitgeist, I think. You know, a lot of people were watching comedy. Comedy clubs were popping up all over the country, not just in the big cities, but, you know, at Holiday Inns, wherever there was a four-inch riser, somebody was getting up there with a microphone and doing 10 minutes of comedy. And, and you know, this, it was a wave, and it was very helpful to us. Now, at the same time, HBO was doing those one-hour comedy specials and young comedian specials and everything else and doing and showing for the first time, I guess, on television, uncut comedy, meaning it had the bad language. It had the crazy, crazy stuff in it. I mean, Robin Williams was on in one of those one hour specials. And uh, before that, you couldn't see Robin Williams act anywhere other than a club because it was, you know, to too profane right. and uh, too crazy, but there was HBO showing it. So all this kind of contributed to the uh, the rise of stand-up comedy and the rise of, I think, the interest in comedy generally. Oh, yeah, you could see how this would it'd probably excel both, as, as people say, verticals. You know, it helped both, you know, the, the stations helped out the stand-up comedians, the stand-up comedians helped out, the, you know, it got their name out there more and it helped you guys out and it showed the need for the market. Well, that's exactly right. I mean, the co comedians, stand-up comedians and comedy writers for that matter, you know, gravitated to the channel. And the, and, and the reason is because they were really flattered that someone had chosen to throw <laughs> them a channel, as one guy said. You know, I mean, MTV was around and they, they were doing, um, you know, they basically thrown a channel for the rock and roll world. But that wasn't even that surprising, I think, because rock and roll was considered a thing, whereas comedy wasn't. You know, it wasn't kind of considered a unified uh, form, I guess, I, you know, art form or uh, the way rock and roll was or pop music was. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's funny as um, when you say that. It's because, like, growing up, I always thought, like, Comedy Central has basically always been there since I can recall. I'm, I'm in my early 40s. So like when you say like it wasn't there, just to me it's kind of baffling. Like how could someone not think that there was a need for a comedy station? But at some point, someone had to do it. Well, you know what? That's why um, I I wrote my memoir. Part of the reason I wrote my memoir, which is called Constant Comedy: How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. How did you I, lose I, your sense of humor? <laughs> I'll get into that. Okay. But I, I, I wrote the I wrote the memoir, which you know was recently published for people like you who probably thought Comedy Central was always around, number one, and number two com thought Comedy Central was always wildly successful. The the subtitle, how I started Comedy Central and lost my sense of humor, was really really to 
to suggest how difficult it was. And that first year, I went to work every day assuming or expecting that they were going to shut the channel down because we were not successful. Huh. We, we launched in November and, you know, the first week after launch, the press pounced. They said, you know, Michael Fuchs, the most powerful man in Hollywood, the biggest television executive, HBO, the, you know, the greatest television channel, just launched a flop of a comedy network. They said, they said, it's not funny. It's not interesting. And, you know, what a disaster. For me. How, and I can't Michael, imagine that helps. Michael was not happy. Michael was not happy. Right. Sorry. I can't. Like, I also think about stuff like that where it's like I work in a field where no one writes press clippings about what I do. You know, my day to day job. I can't imagine going to work where you're like, oh, the New York Times wrote about the job you're doing. Like, oh, crap. Well, you know, it's interesting when you, when you do something like this. And this was I, I, I never thought of myself as having a, a kind of a bulletproof eagle ego i didn't i i was i was as sensitive as the next guy i guess right. and when somebody was critical i took it personally right so you can imagine uh my feeling i mean i had i had really kind of started the whole thing and i really felt personally responsible for its success and there we were in the first month dying <laughs> essentially oh. you know somebody called us the gong channel and so a, a little after that, Michael Fuchs, uh, again, the chairman of HBO, called me and a few of the other people working on the channel. At that point, we had hundreds of people working on the channel, obviously. It wasn't just me. Yeah. Um, called me in and said, you know, it took a comedy channel to get me to lose my sense of humor. Oh. And I looked around and nobody was laughing. And it was deadly serious. And that was why I, I used that that subtitle. Did we lose our sense of humor? Of course not. I mean, it may be for a minute here or there or for a day or two when we had particularly bad times, but you know, you're at a comedy network. You got <laughs> you to keep your sense of humor and it's, it, you know, it helps you, it helps you keep things going. I mean, the book, the book is about persevering through like the most miserable uh, headwinds. Oh, I mean, trying to, trying to get this started. I think what they say is like the first person through the wall is the one that gets bloodied up. And yeah. And you're the first one really breaking the wall down of a comedy station. Right. I mean, look, but look. you know, interestingly, yeah, asked earlier about how this got to be comedy central. Remember at the time we launched, we knew that we, we had another comedy channel coming up behind us. And so imagine my amusement in my spare time. A year before, there was not only no comedy network, but people either assumed it was a bad idea or it couldn't be done because it was expensive, too expensive. Um, and suddenly, there's two comedy networks <laughs> showing up. <laughs> you know, so talk about validating the concept. At least I felt I had that. As as nasty as I felt the uh, competition would be, I said, "All right, well, it does kind of validate the idea, doesn't it?" Oh, absolutely. So then, what would you, like? What would you tell someone else, like, in their in the entrepreneur shoes of going trying to build something or create something that really you could see the need there, but hasn't really been done before? Well, I think people in every in every business are probably think about things that are needed or required but don't yet exist, and. Um, 
there like were a, lots of channels that showed up before, during, and after Comedy Central, and uh, you know, those were other people who had ideas of, you know, this this could work as a channel, Sci-Fi Channel, for example, which was all science fiction. Um, and at the time, you know, people were skeptical. Wow, can you do a channel that's all sci-fi? But the answer, of course, was yes. So, um, yeah, I, I think what I would say is what I told myself. Look, keep your head down and keep working on it because you know in your heart that this thing is uh, necessary and can be successful if if you persevere. And that's what I would tell people right off the bat. Now, remember... I think I gave my first lesson in in creating any of these things, which uh, early on in in this in this show, which was never underestimate the competition, right? Because they will show up and they will take what you're doing and they will try and do it better and steal out from under you whatever you've done. Now, listen, you're you're uh, more in the technology field, is that right? I got that right. I, I'm a tech nerd and that stuff. I work in the Outside of this, I work in the oil and gas world. All right. So I'm sure you've seen this a hundred times where, for example, and I'm going to give examples that I'm familiar with. Yeah. um, Excel, Microsoft Excel is a very popular program, right? Correct. But before that, there was Lotus 1, 2, 3. Yep. Okay. And that was the big one, right? Mm -hmm. Suddenly, you don't hear about Lotus 1, 2, 3 anymore. That was the first, I don't know if it was the first spreadsheet. Actually, I think there was one before that. But, you know, whoever shows up first is not necessarily the the product that lasts. No. Because competition shows up and they innovate and they can do it better, especially in the tech industry. Oh, absolutely. in, In comedy, I'll tell you what happened with us. Okay. Pretty quickly the cable operators decided because cable operators had to launch this channel all over the country. And there were thousands of them in cities all over the country and cable operators pretty quickly decided they didn't need two comedy channels, let alone one, which they never felt the need for (laughs) in the first place. So they started putting pressure on HBO and MTV networks to merge the channels. Now, those of us in the trenches, we're fighting head to head, you know, on a day-to-day basis, trying to do things better. We were fighting over audience. We were fighting over programming. We were fighting over all kinds of things, talent. And we thought we were winning at Comedy Channel, at the Comedy Channel. We thought HBO's Comedy Channel was the better concept. It had the better audience. We had higher ratings, you know, and on and on and on. And just before Christmas, a year after we launched, I got a phone call saying they were merging the channels. And that was extraordinarily disappointing to me for a couple of reasons. My first thought was, seriously? After all this work, we're going to just fold? And secondly, there was the old, yeah, I wonder if I'm going to have a job. (laughs) (laughs) Which, uh, you know, is something that that, uh, was very important to me at the time as well. Absolutely. So the, the merger there between those two, is that what then branded Comedy Central? Yeah, it, and it didn't happen instantly. What, what happened is they, they told me uh, that I was going to be teamed up with the head of programming from the other channel, Ha, and his name was Michael Klinghoffer. And we were supposed to figure out, between the two of us, what, you know, what programming we wanted to put up, how we wanted to organize the channel, what personnel we wanted, because basically they were saying everybody's fired except you guys right now figure out who you want to choose from the, you know, from the respective staff. 
And, um, and then you have to rename it because as part of the agreement, we, we decided we didn't want it. We couldn't name it either Ha or the Comedy Channel because that would give, that would signal that somebody had won the comedy war. Okay. Uh, when in fact it was a draw. So that was extremely disappointing to me, especially because like, if you're going to do a comedy channel, what are you going to call it? How about the comedy channel? Right. I mean, after that, everything seems like second best. Right. Yeah. You had the best. So, name yeah. We had, to, rena- we had to rename it. Sorry. You had the best name right off the bat. Right. So we had to rename the channel. And that was, uh, as you can imagine, uh, a task. <laughs> crazy exercise. I, I do write about it in my book. You know, these are the things I talk about in the book. It's a memoir, and I talk about how all of this happened and how all of this innovation ended up becoming, you know, one of the cultural icons in American television. That's amazing. Then, you know, it's, a, it's the 30th anniversary of Comedy Central. I can't even believe it. Oh, April 1st is when we launched. April 1st, 1991 is when we launched. How and funny is that you launched on April 1st? Yeah, well, it was it was a combination of like, okay, it's around April, might as well be April 1st. I'm not sure we made a huge deal out of it, but you know, listen, anything to peg the peg the date to something the press can get slightly more interested in. Right. Well, mentioning your book too here, we'll make sure we put a link to the Amazon link in the description of the show so people can find it easy as well. Okay, great. That's that's terrific. I appreciate that. Yeah. And then how long were you at Comedy Central from that point on when you guys merged with the MTV version? It was about six years I, I, I was with Comedy Central. So that and, would... uh, you know, during those six years, we, we did a lot of work putting it together and we did a lot of innovative television. And, uh, you know, we, we got an audience and we got a lot of notice and a lot of great press. By the time I left, I knew it was, you know, a going concern. It was, it was not going away. No, that's how cool is that to build something from scratch and to sort of because what they in leadership they say it's about you know the leaving the legacy where it's like is there, are you setting people up behind you to be just as successful if not more successful? Yeah, that's right, and I, I certainly felt I I certainly feel I did that. I certainly feel I left something useful to society and the world. And Comedy Central, you know, it's a great comedy brand. It's probably one of the best comedy brands in America, you know, along with Saturday Night Live. Right. No, and then, uh, so I got to ask you in today's world of uh, PC outrage and all that, how's, or the, you know, how's that going to, how's political correctness going to impact, uh, as you say, the cutting edge of comedy? I hope not at all. <laughs> you know, I guess that's too much to hope for. Listen, you know, Political correctness has, has been um, an obstacle to comedians for hundreds of years. <laughs> I got to say it that way. <laughs> I mean, we go back to Lenny Bruce, uh, who was arrested on stage a hundred times. He was a brilliant comedian, but he was arrested because he was talking about race and women and, you know, all kinds of things that people didn't want to talk, have talked about in the early sixties, you know, that you just didn't do that. So Comedians have always dealt with this. And then on top of that, I, I will mention that when we launched Politically Incorrect with Bill Maher, which was Bill Maher's first talk show, that's essentially the same show he's doing now on HBO, which is called uh, um, Tonight with Bill Maher or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just essentially the same thing. But Bill Maher came to us and he pitched the show saying, I want to do a show that goes up to the line and then crosses the line. 
because that's what comedy is about. And I'm going to get in trouble and I want to call it politically incorrect. So that was, you know, there it is right on the nose. Right. That's the whole explanation right there. So Bill Maher did get in trouble. The channel got in trouble. Bill Maher's show went to ABC. Then it got, he got in big trouble. They pulled it off ABC and went to HBO where it's thrived ever since. Um, I, just, I, I think that I think that I think that stand-up comedy will weather this. I think it will swing back, and I think people will stop saying you can't talk about that because comedians have to talk about that, and we have to listen to what comedians are saying. We have to view the world through their comedic lens. It's good for us. Absolutely. So, why do you think comedy is is important to you? Why is comedy important to you? Well, as I said, I mean, it's a powerful tool. For communication, if absolutely. Nothing, you know, let's start there. It's a powerful uh, way to affect culture. I mean, I was not only fascinated with comedy as a kid, but satire, which I guess is a, a comedy's cousin. <laughs> and um, you know, you look at, and I did. I, I studied Swift and those guys. I just was fascinated. And when I was in high school, I we did a, a underground newspaper called The Tongue, which was satire. And what we did was we tried to point out what was wrong with the school. That's what we did. We wanted to change what was wrong with the school. And I think, you know, I think comedy can be a force for cultural change. I mean, look at the role of women comedians over the last 20 or 30 years. And by the way, women comedians, there weren't always a million women comedians the way there are now. Women, you know, fought their way into comedy. But I think women comedians have had a big hand in, in talking about uh the women, you know, the female experience in America, the same way uh, black comedians have talked about the black experience in America. And th that's how things get understood. And that's how, you know, that can, that can really kind of impact the way that the culture changes. No, absolutely. When you mentioned satire, I was thinking like the impact that Babylon Bees had the last few years. I don't know. I'm not sure if you follow them at all. Uh, I don't. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, just another satire, satire, mainly like news site, you know, just with the quick headlines. So, and you make a lot. Yeah, of, yeah. It, it's funny where I've I've seen people like on Facebook actually retweet or repost or whatever the term is, you know, stuff from a Babylon B site, which is a hundred percent satire, and they're taking it as gospel. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa! It's it's satire. They didn't really say that. Settle down. Yeah, well, that's when satire gets too close, cuts too close, huh? <laughs> right. So, well, Art, it has been a pleasure. Is there anything I missed? Anything you want to say before I let you go? No, I will mention that if people are interested in me, and after listening to this half hour, who wouldn't be? Just right. kidding. Um, <laughs> they can they can uh, find out more about me and more about my book at artbellwriter.com. And I've got some writing, some other writing I've done on there uh, and some information about my book. And again, you know, I hope they, I hope people go out and buy it. You can buy it at Amazon or bookstores, uh, and and read it because I think it's got, you know, it's 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 an interesting story for anybody in business or anybody interested in business or the business of television. No, absolutely, I'm interested in just the idea of like starting something new and overcoming the obstacles and like braving through the wall when you're the first one to go through it. So yeah, a lot of people who've read the book say, you know what, I I bought, I gave it to my kids. I wanted, you know, my my 25 year old kids will read it because it's really, it's really interesting that way. It, it is funny too. I will say. So. Good. Good. Cause I can't imagine like, what were your parents saying when you're like, Hey, I'm starting something brand new, but at least I have some big supporters. 
think my parents ever really understood what I was doing <laughs> or how I was doing it. Ah, so you're like, that's a common generational theme here, I guess. <laughs> yes, right, right. So, all right, well, we'll put the, the artbellwriter.com link in the description along with a link to the book. And really appreciate the time, really appreciate the story, Art. And Thanks, Rob. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no. Is the, uh, is the book on Amazon Audible? Is it an audio book yet? I am working on the audio book as we speak. So, yes, keep your eyes peeled for the audio book. It'll be out there shortly. All right. Well, please let me know that. That's how I consume most of my books. So if you remember, shoot me a note that it's out there. Okay. I will mention one other thing, which is kind of a crazy thing. Yeah. Um, we, I am doing a podcast now with another guy. We haven't launched it. It's going to be launched on April 1st. It's just a short series, you know, 12, 12 episodes. I mean, if it gets great, we'll keep going. But yeah. it's really in honor of the 30th anniversary. And it's called The Comedy, this, um, I'm sorry, The Constant Comedy Podcast with Art Bell and Vinny Favalli. Vinny was also there at the beginning. And, oh, yeah? And, and we're going to talk to people who were there at the beginning and talk to people who uh, helped build Comedy Central. Well, very cool. Well, let me know when that gets launched, too. I'll make sure to make a note of it and tune in. Yep, April 1st. That's, that's when our first episode shows up. It's just a few weeks away. I know, scary, right? Right. This year's flown by as scary as 2020 was. 2021's just moving right along here, too. Yes, it is. So... All right. Well, once again, Art, thank you so much. I appreciate the time. Thanks for spending a little bit extra time than we previously negotiated. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much.